So we are kicking off a five-week series starting today through the book of Jonah, and we've called this message series specifically, uh, uh, we've called it God's Pursuing Grace. And, and, and we've called it this because throughout this story of Jonah, you are going to see God is constantly pursuing Jonah uh, with, with a relentlessness, even though Jonah doesn't really deserve it. And so each week, we're going to begin by reading through the chapter that we're going to be studying specifically for that morning. And we're going to do that together today, starting in chapter 1, obviously. But, but we want to be intentional over the next few weeks about getting into the Bible together. So what I'm going to encourage you with is this. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to encourage you to get it out. If you have one at home, I'm going to encourage you to bring it with you. Maybe if you don't have one, on the, on the racks in the back of this room, we have some that are available for you to, to pick up, to use. Use them however that you need to use them. Um, uh, take advantage of those. Or perhaps you like to do your cell phone, and that is great. In fact, if you go to our chapel app and you click on Weekend Services, and then there's a button that says Bible, you click on that, it takes you right to Jonah chapter 1 this morning. So you can do that from your phone if that is helpful to you. Um, but we want to be intentional about being in the Bible. So let's start this morning and let's read Jonah chapter 1 together today. And it, and it goes like this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He, he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw their cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then, the, then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O oh Lord, they pleaded, 
Don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. But Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. You know, before we really look at the life of Jonah, I think, I think it would be good to address the elephant in the room, or should I say the, the whale in the room. Uh, sorry, that was a bad dad joke. Yeah, I tried it, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Chapter 1 ends with Jonah inside this, this big fish. And this is what most people think of when they hear the story of Jonah. Even if you don't go to church, if you were to ask someone, who is Jonah in the Bible, more than likely they're going to say, isn't he the guy that got swallowed by the whale? This is, this is typically what people think of when they think of Jonah. This has been the focus of the story is the whale. And as a result, two things have happened. Two not-so-good things have happened. The first thing that's happened is, is many have viewed this as just simply a, a cute little children's story. It's kind of out there. It's fun. It's memorable. It's kind of interesting to think that somebody could be in the belly of a fish for three days and we can let our imaginations run wild, what that might look like. And as kids, that is so much fun. And so we chalk this up to being a kid's story. Or... Or the second thing that happens is, is now that we're adults and we're more mature and we can think about things more clearly, now we realize just simply how unbelievable this story can be. I mean, even scientifically, come on, somebody's going to be in the belly of a fish. And so we start thinking about it with doubts and, 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 and we start really chalking it up to being more of a fable or a fake tale that somebody made up and included in the Bible. And so as a result of those two things, I want to address the fish for just a moment before we get started. Because this is the mobile unit that Jonah traveled in for three days and three nights. It was a great fish. In fact, the New Testament refers to this as being a, 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 a sea creature. And, and, and Jesus himself even recalls the story of Jonah and he shares, connecting it to the three days that he would spend in the grave. He relates it. And so, and so we see Jesus talking about this. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to do some of my own fishing around here. <laughs> I try. I'm trying. I tried these jokes on my daughter and she told me not to use them, but I can't help it. <laughs> I've learned the... The, the, the Mediterranean Sea, it, it's, it, this is where this story took place. And it's possible there are two marine animals, sizable enough, that live in the Mediterranean Sea that could swallow a man whole. And the first one is the great white shark. Now, if you've seen Jaws, it's pretty, pretty evident that this thing is not going to swallow a man whole. It's going to chew him to, to pieces. 
I doubt it was a great white shark. The second animal that we see in the Mediterranean Sea that is sizable enough to swallow a man whole is the sperm whale. And based on this, this is a full-grown picture of a sperm whale up against the picture of an elephant and a man. We can see how sizable this animal truly is. This is, is possible. This could have been a, a whale. And there is some evidence that a man could live inside a whale for three days and not die. Although, I must say, scientifically speaking, there, there is some indicators that even if a man were to live inside a whale for three days, there would have been some very uncomfortable side effects from that that I'm not going to dive into today. <laughs> I just can't stop. Oh. Yeah, so, so, so we're, we're, to be honest here, many people, including you, may be skeptical. And you might ask, you know, how, how could this actually happen? It seems unrealistic at best. I mean, here, the only thing we are told is that the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and not chew him up. Doubters are going to say it's crazy. But I say this. Those who are familiar with God and those who are familiar with his word, those are familiar with his character, those are familiar with God's reputation, simply point to the long line of ways God has constantly manipulated natural phenomenon to do supernatural things. I've read and I've seen and I've experienced in my own life Things like this, and, and, and it, they don't seem so unbelievable after all. I mean, let me just give you a few examples in the Bible, and there's many, many more. I mean, I mean, there's examples of an army marching around a city for a few days, and then they blow some horns, and the great walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Or, or, or there's the story of Jesus walking on the water, and then he invites Peter to come out of the boat and walk on the water with him. Or, or the story of the dry bones in the valley that are coming to life. Or, or we see over and over pictures of the blind that can see, the lame that can walk, diseases and things wrong that are instantly healed. We see these things going on. Or, 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 or one of my favorite stories is when, is when God parted the Red Sea and allowed the Israelites to walk through on dry ground. It's, it, that's crazy. Or, or, or the conversion of Saul that we talked about just a couple weeks ago on the road to Damascus. Or my personal favorite of all time, Jesus predicts his own death and then does it. He's crucified, three days later, rises again with many, many countless eyewitnesses saying that they saw this to be true. We see men in a furnace not get burned up we saw, we saw Daniel in a lion's den not get eaten. We, we, we see God doing incredible things over and over and over throughout his word. We hear these stories. So when we think of this as the idea of a fish or a sea creature or a whale or whatever you want to call it, is it really that far-fetched? I don't think so. Sounds like just another day in the office for God, if you ask me. 
And so, uh, author of this book, Eric Metaxas, he gives us some insight into this, and, and I'm using this quote from him. He says, if miracles exist at all, they exist not for their own sake, but for us, to point us towards something beyond, to someone beyond. In other words, why should we be so surprised that Jonah ended up in the belly of a big fish? It shouldn't surprise us. Instead, it should point us as proof to a loving, pursuing God whose desire is to rescue us. To which perhaps you're here this morning and you would say, rescue us? I thought this story was about a punishment for Jonah's disobedience. And if you think that this story is about a punishment for Jonah's disobedience, then this reveals to me a whole lot about what you think and what you believe about who to God to be and God's character. Because what if I suggested to you this morning this? We've been looking at this story all wrong. The theme of Jonah's story and, and ultimately our story is not a theme of punishment but it's a theme of, of grace. And this brings me to our bottom line this morning. I really want you to think about, and the bottom line is this, God will do whatever it takes to bring us to himself. He'll do whatever it takes to bring us to himself. And so we want to go back into chapter one, and I want to see all the different ways that God breaks into this story and does whatever it takes to bring us to himself. And as we do, I hope that we begin to see some pictures of the ways God breaks into our personal stories and brings us each back to himself as well. So let's first Let's, let's jump back into Jonah. I'm going to look at the first two verses where God calls Jonah. And it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. You know, Jonah showed up one other place in the Bible. He shows up in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings, and he shows up and is described as a prophet to the people of Israel, which means that Jonah is, has an occupation of, of speaking for God. His job is to take messages that God gives him, and then he in turn goes to the people of Israel and he tells them what he's heard. That is his job. Now at first... I'm thinking that sounds like the coolest job ever to hear from God and then tell people what he said. Like that is a great job until I think about this. And then I, and then I go, you know what? This is a little too much for Jonah. Because not only does God tell him to go speak judgment to people, but he tells him to go to speak judgment to the people of Nineveh. Now, we could read over this a hundred times and not think about it. The Ninevites, okay, big deal. However, if we look at history, and I love this part of Scripture, I love looking at the history. If we dive into the history of it, it becomes so much clearer why this request would have been so difficult for Jonah. Because Nineveh was the capital of the country of Assyria. If we know anything historically about the country of Syria, these were bad people. 
And I'm not just saying, oh, they were kind of bad, they were kind of mean to each other. No. These were barbaric people who tortured each other, tortured their enemies, and they crucified and, and killed people on the street in barbaric ways. This I can't even tell you some of the things I read about the things they used to do to people because it would gross you all out. We won't talk about it. But they were bad. They, they, these people did unthinkable things. There's no words to describe this group of people. I mean, when I tried to relate how might this look to us, the, the closest thing I can come up with, and this isn't even close, is, is, is what if God told Jonah to go to Berlin, Germany, stand on Hitler's front porch, and proclaim judgment against the Nazis at the height of their regime? No way. The, the, that would have been... Crazy. Can you imagine being called to do something like this? If we were asked to do something like this, we're running in the opposite direction too. Sometimes God calls me to walk across the street and talk to my neighbor and I run, across, I run the opposite direction. And, and so this is what Jonah does. He runs the opposite direction. And, and so we, we continue on in these verses and we see that, that, that Jonah is God's person. It goes on in verse 3 to say, Jonah got up, went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now to give you just an example of what this looks like, just because I'm, I'm a visual learner, maybe this will help you as well. Jonah here, he's at letter A. This is Joppa where he gets on the boat. He's supposed to go to letter B. Nineveh, that's about 500 miles north-northeast. Instead of going from A to B, he decides to jump on the ship and head west to letter C. He's going as far as this boat can possibly take him away from the Lord. And he's doing this all because he's running from the Lord and he's running from the call on his life. Being human like you and I. I, I kind of stopped here to think about some of the justifications that, that must have been going on in Jonah's mind as he ran. I, I put myself in his shoes for a second. And I thought, was he just scared? Was it fear that drove him to run? Maybe, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it was fear because Jonah was asked to do things by the Lord all the time. He was asked to deliver messages. He was a prophet that would, that would have been uncomfortable. This wouldn't have been new to Jonah. He had experienced this before. I'm not, I don't think it was just fear that caused Jonah to run. So I did some more digging. And, and in my digging, I found this. I found that Jonah did not like the Ninevites. In fact, I would go as far as to say that Jonah hated the Ninevites. And, and so I, I did some more digging, and there was a commentary I read that actually described Jonah as a patriot. He was a nationalist. He loved his country. He served his country. He was passionate about the people of his country. He loved them. 
And as a patriot, he, he, he looked at the people of, the Nineveh, of Nineveh and what they did to his people and the way they treated and tortured and hurt his people, and he didn't like them. He hated them. In fact, one, one commentary said that it was possible Jonah was a racist against these people. He could have thought he was better than they were. And, and so I, I kept thinking about this, and I'm going out on a limb here to say this. I wonder if Jonah thought perhaps these people didn't deserve to be saved. Perhaps it's possible that Jonah didn't agree with God. That, that he didn't think what God wanted him to do to announce judgment on them was a good idea because what if they would actually be saved? What if they actually turned to God? Maybe Jonah didn't think they deserved forgiveness. They didn't deserve grace. Maybe he didn't want to see God bless people that he didn't like. I, the point is this. I'm sure there was some fear in Jonah, of course, but I'm sure there was so much more going on in Jonah's mind than just fear. There was other things as well, but whatever it was, whatever caused him to run, it was clear. It was clear that Jonah, he, he talked himself into not trusting God. It sounds all too familiar, doesn't it, in our lives? We talk ourselves in to not trusting God, and whether we recognize it or not, we constantly are justifying why we shouldn't trust God too. And like Jonah, we run in the opposite direction. And we're going to talk a lot more on that in Jonah chapter 3, so I'm going to, moving on, we'll, we'll come back to that in a couple weeks. But God's love is not, is, is, is God is so loving He's not going to let us get too far away. Remember our bottom line for today. Remember, God will do whatever it takes to bring us to himself. And so for the rest of the time this morning, I want to explore a handful of ways that God brings us back to himself. And so let's look at some of these ways that God shows Jonah and ultimately shows us grace. The first God's grace that I want to look at is this. It's the grace of getting our attention. He's just getting our attention. Look at the verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. I mean, here we have, it's, I'm sure it was a nice day. Jonah gets to Joppa. He gets his ticket. He gets on the boat. All's going well. The sea's calm. The sun's shining. It's just, it's, it's, it's relaxing. They take off from shore. They finally leave. Jonah decides, I'm going to relax a little bit. And so he relaxes. And then out of nowhere, a storm. And not just any storm, but a God-sized storm sent from God. And, and this is not just a passing thunderstorm. This is a storm strong enough to be breaking this ship apart, strong enough that the sailors, the seasoned sailors, the veteran experienced sailors on the boat were petrified and scared for their life. They thought they were going to die. Things turned bad real quick. And while this is definitely a a physical storm happening, 
that, that was meant to shake the boat. This is also a spiritual storm meant to shake Jonah in this moment. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. God can, and he does, place storms in our lives, without a doubt. But not all of them. Let me explain. I've heard people talk about how when they're going through hard times or when they're going through challenges or when they're going through struggles, they blame God for this. They say, God is doing this to me. Well, that is not always the case. Here's a rule of thumb. The storms that God places in your lives are meant to bring you back to him. Always. They're meant to draw us back to him. The storms in our lives are meant to bring us closer to him. God will never place a storm in your life that pushes you away from him. Never. He doesn't work that way. He wouldn't do that. If the storm in your life is a God storm, if it's sent from God, it can be identified by this characteristic, that God storms are full of grace, God storms are full of love, and they're meant to bring you back to him, not push you away or go against what he would want you to do. So God sent this storm to Jonah to love him, to care for him, to bring him closer, to get his attention. That is God's grace, not a punishment, but grace. And then there's this grace I wanted to highlight. It's using others to confront us. Fearing for their lives, it says, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. Typical guy. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up, pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. You know, there's times in our lives that God will use other people, that God will use family, God will use friends to speak truth to us, to confront us. But here's our problem. Most of the time that we are confronted we meet that confrontation with anger. And we meet that confrontation with defensiveness and excuses. That's how we put up our walls against this confrontation. But there have been moments, I tell you, moments when God has used people to speak into my life. Moments he has used my wife to speak to me about areas of my life that I'm beginning to get off course. Moments he's even used my children to speak to me. I'll, I'll never forget this time. This happened just this last summer. This time that, that my daughter, Rory, she called me out for, for acting out of anger. And I can still remember we were in the front seat of the truck and, and, and with tears in her eyes, she looked at me and she said, Dad, I don't like it when you act that way and God wouldn't like it either. Ooh. I tell you, I wanted to meet her with defensiveness. And I wanted to, to give her all the reasons I was justified in acting the way I was acting. But I couldn't. I was speechless when she spoke to me. Because I knew that God was using her 
to speak directly to me. And she was willing to say to me the thing that was hard to say and the thing that was hard to hear. And it didn't matter if it hurt. She was willing to say it so that I could become more like Jesus and less like myself. God used her to confront me. Sometimes he uses people in our lives to confront us. And these moments are memorable and they change us. And when we see Jonah asleep here on the boat, he isn't just physically asleep, he's spiritually asleep. And God uses a stranger, a boat captain, to wake him up and to get his attention and say, hey, get up, he says to him. Because remember, God will do whatever it takes to bring you back to himself. That is his grace in your life. But then we see this grace. God's nudging our conscience. Once Jonah's awake, the sailors to continue to confront him about this storm, and they say, it says, Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, excuse me, I want to go back. I'm getting ahead of myself. Because uh, a little bunny trail, when I, when I read, he made the sea and the land. Is a, to me, even more confirmation that the fish could be real. God made the sea, he made the land. I digress. I wanna, I'm sorry, I'll go on. I got off on a little tangent. Then there's the power of confession. It says, since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me in the sea, Jonah said. It'll become calm again. And then Jonah says this, I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. And the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. You know, even though the sailors were on to Jonah, they were on to him, Jonah could have still lied. Jonah could have still pretended he was confused about what was going on. Jonah could have claimed innocence and kept the truth from them, but the weight of God's Spirit must have been heavy on Jonah, and so he tells the truth about himself. He tells them who he is, and he, most importantly, he tells them who he worshiped. And then he takes it a step further and he confesses. He says, this is all my fault. This is, this is my fault. And when he confesses, something incredibly powerful happens. They, they pick him up and they throw him overboard and the storm stops immediately. And more important than the storm stopping is every single one of those guys on that boat got a clear picture of who God is, the real God, the one and only God, Yahweh. There was no doubt being honest about who we really are, confessing what we've really done. This is, this is risky. Uh, I'm not going to blow smoke. It's risky. This can be uncomfortable to say these things. There's a chance that the person or the people we have hurt, they may not forgive us. This is, this is hard. And what we see here, though, in the story of Jonah and the sailors is, is another potential outcome, though. Because when we confess, 
there's a chance, like it happened in Jonah, is not only does it free us from the weight of what we've done, but it frees everyone around us as well. The storm stopped in Jonah's life, and the storm stopped in the life of all of those people that were around him too. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say this, or, or thought this, they they've say things like, who cares, I'm only hurting myself. What do you care if I'm sinning? It's not bothering you, it's only bothering me. I'm the only person that it's affecting, so who cares, leave me alone. Well, I tell you, just on this, based on this story of Jonah, we can clearly see that sin doesn't just hurt the person who's sinning, it hurts all the people around them as well. And, and, and they, we are impacted too. When we confess, it impacts us in a positive way and it impacts the people around us in a positive way. Because if you're like me, you mess up a lot. And typically you hurt the people that you love the most. The easiest solution is just to say nothing. Do nothing. But when you say and do nothing, nothing changes. And when nothing changes, then people are still being hurt. I, I mean... The harder thing to do is to tell the truth, to confess. And though it might be painful when you fess up in the long run, that is how healing is going to begin to start. Not just in my own heart, but in the people's hearts around me. The storms can stop. It's through confession. I wonder in your life today, I'm going to ask you this question. In your life today, who is it that needs to hear you say these words? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. It's all my fault. I love you. Who needs to hear this today? Because it might not only stop the storm in your heart, it can stop the storm in their heart and everyone around you as well. There's a power to confession. The other thing, this is another bunny trail I love, the thought of a, now a boatload of new missionaries heading to Tarshish, excited about who God is to tell all of those people what they've witnessed. What, a, what an incredible thought. Let me wrap up Jonah chapter 1 with this. And, 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 and this is that God's grace looks like being given another opportunity. It says, The Lord has arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. When Jonah's honest and he confesses and he, and he gets thrown overboard, not the ideal outcome, but, but, but it is what it is. It, this is what happens to him. And as I've reflected on this, and I reflected on how, well, how God did whatever it took to get Jonah's attention and to bring him to himself, sometimes God uses big things like fish, sometimes he uses big things like storms, and sometimes he uses little things like confession or like someone confronting us. Whatever he uses, I know this. It's for your good. It's always for your good. Maybe you've never thought about being swallowed by a fish as a good thing before. Maybe you've only looked at it as a punishment. What if I've gotten this wrong in my life so many times? What if I've spent so much time being angry at God for doing things and blamed Him? And what, 
what if I've been wrong? It's not him punishing me. It's him showing his grace to me and his love to me like he did in Jonah. So hear me clearly as we close. God is passionately in love with you. I, I can't be for sure of a lot of things, but I can be for sure of this. God loves you passionately. He knows how badly we'll mess up our lives when we run from him, and he knows how badly we will miss the blessings that are for us when we are controlled by fear and hatred instead of following his lead and trusting him. So be sure of this. God will do whatever it takes to bring you back to himself. Always. That's his grace. That's his love. Are you ready? Let me, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us this much, that you pursue us this much. Lord, for the times we've run, thank you for your grace. Thank you for caring so much that you, that you do what it takes to bring us back to you. And Lord, I, I, just, uh, I thank you for the, the group this morning here in this room that I get to uh, worship with and to serve with. I thank you for them and ask that, Lord, you would just continue to be gracious with us throughout the weeks as we go home into our workplaces. Lord, we love you and we offer this time to you as well. It's in your name I pray, amen.